0: Good afternoon and thank you for tuning in to this November 16th edition of The Rewind, your Tuesday news podcast. I'm your host, Emily Thompson. In today's episode, we'll learn about the return of in-person Greek life to campus this semester from Rewind reporter Sylvia Wang. But first, a continuation of my conversation with daily reporter Tom Guan about last month's dispute between Tufts and the Somerville City Council over Tufts' decision not to pay its dining workers' summer wages. Last week we covered the details of the dispute between dining workers and the university. Today we'll hear about what happened when Tufts Labor Coalition and the Somerville City Council got involved. How did Tufts answer um to these questions?
1: I my my own experience interviewing uh, Tufts administration officials is just, um, they insisted that it was it was the state, it was Massachusetts who did it, and that it wasn't um, Tufts' responsibility to help these workers.
0: So let's talk a little bit about Tufts Labor Coalition involvement in all of this, or throughout all of this. Can you tell me about how they were mobilizing um the people in their organization and the students and community outside of the organization?
1: Tuftsco labor coalition has been around for a while and they were um very active uh during the year uh Tuftsani workers got unionized and I do because I report on this know that uh, some of the TLC Members are very close to dining workers, and so they know about their grievances very well. Something they did spring semester, they had a town hall. I'm not sure if I reported on it, but um, some of the dining workers also spoke and um, kind of detailed the kind of the kind of treatment they received.
0: Could you tell me a little bit about like what they were calling on other students
2: to do?
1: Right after the uh, the news about dining workers not receiving unemployment benefits um, come out, um, the TLC urged its members and other students to send emails to the Tufts administration, and they found that having their parents send these emails is especially useful um because they 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 paid the tuition i guess and they there were various social media campaigns if you're on facebook and instagram you uh, probably have encountered one of their posts about the situation and it all culminated in the rally in july
0: let's talk about the rally a little bit where was it held and who showed up and what were they calling for
1: it was held initially um, in front of the WIC, and I was there myself, so I can attest that at least, I think, 100 people showed up in the beginning. I think maybe three workers and a community activist spoke at the rally, as well as um, TCU president, Amma, and they were just kind of detailing what happened and something Quite incredible that happened was many um, local officials and electoral candidates also appeared.
0: What politicians and people running for office showed up and what did they have to say on the topic of holding Tufts accountable?
1: So, elected officials and candidates I, that I confirmed uh, for sure showed up were Katiana Ballantyne, Zach Bears, Mary Gossesso, Jesse Klingen, Kid Collins, Judy Panetta Neufeld. I heard that Becca Miller was going to go, uh, but wasn't able to. And I, I don't think any of them made a public announcement during the rally, um, but I saw their faces uh, and they showed up.
0: Can you tell me about the politicians who are calling for this and how this was unusual given that the lodging licensing is renewed every year fairly easily?
1: Yeah, so the person who initiated it was, was Jesse Klingen, who I just mentioned also showed up at the rally. During a meeting, a September 9th meeting um, of the Somerville City Council, they they were just discussing lodging permits and I think Klingon raised his hand <laughs> virtually and said that he thought it was unacceptable, that the bulk of the dining workers uh, were not at Tufts were not eligible for summer work, and they uh, did not receive any compensations. The context, lodging permits is most of the Tufts dorms in Somerville, so most of the downhill dorms, um, they need like a lodging permit from the city of Somerville, and that needs to be renewed yearly. And Klingon uh, said that um, he would vote no on renewing these lodging permits if Tufts does not Appropriately address the workers' grievances, and so the issue was uh, kind of postponed. And they discussed again on September 22nd. And this is this is not a Somerville City Council general meeting. This is just a licenses and permits committee meeting. But the, the thing is that Klingon himself is not part of the Licenses and Permits Committee, so he does not actually have voting power on this. On September 9th, um, Will Mbaugh, he, he vocally supported Klingon and said that he, um, he was in solidarity with dining workers and that he will also vote no.
0: What would it mean for Tufts if they lost this lodging license?
1: So during the meeting, um, Matt McLaughlin, who is the president of uh, the council, asked the same question to Rocco DiRico, the director of community relations at Tufts, and DiRico said that basically all of the students who live downhill or in the Somerville area would lose their housing and they would have to find housing elsewhere.
0: So, no students could be housed on in tough storms in the Somerville side of campus. yes, so that's a big threat from the city council in the committee meeting. Mm-hmm. How did they end up voting on this issue?
1: So before they voted, Klingan um, spoke again though he was not on a committee and said that he had spoken to all interested parties, and he acknowledged that it wasn't in his jurisdiction to vote no on this especially since he cannot really vote no for reasons other than like inspectional or operational and this was the same point that Rocco de Rico made I think on September 9th so he said that he would let this pass but urged Tufts to still address this issue And Will Ba, who initially endorsed Klingon, also voted yes and, and let it pass.
0: The workers never received unemployment benefits nor summer work. They never carried out on their threat to not renew their lodging licensing. So where does this all stand now?
1: It hasn't really gotten better if I think a recent piece on a daily came out about that was that was kind of a same situation as last year. How long the lines are, and how overworked the tiny the dining workers are. So the union United here, um, Local Twenty Six, uh, recently asked um, the workers to apply for Massachusetts pandemic unemployment P- uh, called PUA, and they hope that they will get like a retroactive unemployment compensation for. For the workers who didn't work this summer, the three months uh, of, of, of wages. Fingers crossed. It's it's it sounded like a coin toss. It's not clear whether they'll be able to get it.
0: Has Tufts made any statement on that issue?
1: Not that I know of. Show love to your your dining workers. Uh, they work so hard, and I I've talked to so many of them and. Pretty much every single one of them will tell you that they do love the students. And Trisha O'Brien, who's worked here for 32 years, would always reiterate to me, like, I do it for the students and I love you guys. It doesn't mean that what Tufts does to us is, is, is acceptable.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It was great hearing from you. Since my conversation with Tom, another labor dispute has been making headlines at Tufts. 32 BJ Service Employees International Union, which represents Tufts custodians, held a rally in late October to protest the facilities contractor CNW Services' failure to extend its contract and meet its demands of salary increases and the addition of three more full-time custodian positions. CNW agreed to extend the contract minutes before the rally took place. Executive Director of Media Relations Patrick Collins commented that the union should direct its grievances towards CNW, not the university. However, union representatives and janitors who spoke at the rally stressed Tufts' responsibility towards its contracted workers in light of their hard work keeping the university clean and safe during the pandemic and beyond. On November 7th, the Tufts Community Union Senate endorsed a Tufts Labor Coalition message to Vice President of Operations Barbara Stein, calling for a town hall-style meeting where facilities workers can discuss their concerns directly with the administration. In the news this week, President Biden signed a one trillion dollar infrastructure bill into law yesterday, November 15th, after it passed in the House of Representatives on November 5th. The new law provides funding to repair roads and bridges, improve public transportation and expand broadband access across the country, among other projects. The Boston Globe reported an uptick in COVID-19 cases in Massachusetts last week likely due to declining immunity from vaccines, viral spread by unvaccinated individuals, and an increase in indoor gatherings as temperatures drop. A Jamaica Plains school closed following an outbreak of 46 cases. In Glasgow, COP26 negotiators from 200 countries reached a climate agreement on Saturday. While many scientists say it's not enough to combat the current rate of warming, the agreement marks a global consensus that nations must work together to reduce global carbon dioxide emissions by nearly half by 2030. The agreement also urges wealthy countries to protect more vulnerable nations from the consequences of climate change. On Friday, the Louisiana Board of Pardons voted to clear Homer Plessy's record. Plessy's arrest nearly 130 years ago for sitting in a first-class train car led to the landmark separate-but-equal Supreme Court ruling, which laid the foundation for decades of Jim Crow legislation. Taylor Swift released Red, Taylor's version, a re-recording of her critically acclaimed 2012 album this week. The album contains 14 previously unheard songs and is accompanied by a short film starring Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien. The album set the record for the most-streamed album debut by a female artist, breaking the previous record set by Swift's 2020 album, Folklore. Next up, in-person Greek life returned to Tufts campus this semester for the first time since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. With fraternities suspended or disbanded and new local sororities on the scene, Greek life looks a little different this semester. Rewind reporter Sylvia Wang has the story. Editor's note, Jackson Parcells is the web manager for the Tufts Daily. He was not involved in the reporting or the production of this episode.
2: For the first time since the pandemic, Greek Life has begun operating in an almost entirely in-person format, with recruitment, events, and other activities to bring members together, This semester has seen the return of national organizations as well as the growth of local organizations that were started during the 2020 to 2021 academic year. There are a few updates to the Greek life scene on campus since last semester. There are two local sororities, Talia and the Ivy, which held their first in-person events for the membership application process. In terms of fraternities, Delta Tau Delta, or DTD, has been placed on probation and Zeta Psi was disbanded by the university after they both violated Tufts' COVID-19 guidelines last year. Today, we'll hear from two students in Greek life about their experiences in person this semester and how they chose between local and national organizations.
3: Yeah, so my full name is Emma Sonnenblick, and I am class of 2023, so I'm a junior, and I'm a member of Kappa Alpha Theta.
4: My name is Jackson Parcells. I'm in the class of 2023, which means I'm currently a junior, and I am joining Theta Chi. Emma
2: talks about the virtual recruitment process that she went through last semester.
3: Yeah, so I rushed in the spring of 20. 21, so last spring and so it was a virtual recruitment process because of um, COVID-19 so there were like some open houses online where we would go um, and you rush via Pan House so that goes over Cap Alpha Theta or Theta for short and um, Chi Omega or Chi O for short and so I, I went to a few open houses between them I think Chi O's was like a game night and Theta's was um, more of like a conversation type thing, and really liked the girls that I met from both of the sororities. And then we went through recruitment days that was like, more formal, where you talk to two or three people from each sorority for about seven minutes, and then you rank the sororities. Um, so just those two, either first or second, and then they also rank you in sort of like a secret system. So I don't exactly know the behind the scenes of that. And then you so that's like Saturday. And then on Sunday, you found out which one you got,
2: Um, and I got data. Jackson, however, joined his organization this year by going through an in-person recruitment process.
4: I found the recruitment process to be extremely enjoyable, actually, so I was a little bit uncertain if I'd want to go through with joining or not, but the first event was everyone just kind of hanging out on the lawn of Theta Chi and everyone just kind of talking, eating some food, and getting to know each other. After that, if... That went well there was a individual interview and the individual interview was super fun it was honestly the most fun i've ever had interviewing just a great opportunity to meet all of the other guys and chat with them um and then after that if that went well then you would receive a bid which would mean that you can now pledge the fraternity
2: with last year's covid 19 restrictions social life on campus was severely limited to cohorts and zoom classes Emma mentioned service opportunities, along with the chance to meet new people, as her main reasons for joining Greek life.
3: Still, you know, really in the midst of COVID, like even before vaccines and things like that, um, I was feeling like I hadn't really met any new people in a while. And like something that I really loved about freshman years, I felt like I was always meeting new people. And when I was like talking to my parents about, you know, just sort of feeling like like I had friends, but I like was always interacting with the same people and wanting to sort of branch out and meet other people with similar interests. They were like, "Well, maybe you should try joining a sorority." And I think also it. Very much felt last year like I was interacting with people, but a lot of them were my age, like people in my dorm or um things like that. And I thought it was really nice to meet women in different years. And that was something that I didn't feel like I really had a way to do previously, besides like some of the clubs I was in um, that were pretty much like running virtually. And so, yeah, so that definitely
2: really factored it into. Jackson had similar reasons with the additional appeal of professional networking with other computer science majors.
4: Yeah, so I I really didn't think I'd want to join a fraternity, and that was a big reason I actually came to Tufts, but I think it was very hard to socialize to a level that I would deem acceptable in college due to the pandemic last year, and so I think that Greek Life is a really good opportunity at Tufts specifically to kind of branch out and meet a bunch of new people, so I would say I joined it mainly for the social network and then also I also was able to recognize that there was some type of professional networking that could come out of it as well. I think the first, within the first five minutes of showing up to the first event, someone offered to talk to me about the software engineering company he was going to be working at um, once he graduated and potentially give me a referral there. So it seemed like a great opportunity to both expand socially and also professionally.
2: Tufts's two local sororities, Talia and the Ivy were founded by students who disaffiliated from the national sororities Chi Omega and Alpha Phi, respectively. Both sororities emerged amidst criticism of Greek life at Tufts, including from the Abolish Greek Life at Tufts movement. Previous daily coverage describes how, according to their leaders, Talia and the Ivy disaffiliated to create more equitable and inclusive sorority spaces than their national counterparts. Talia and the Ivy are distinct from national sororities, in that they hold membership application processes in lieu of the traditional sorority rush system, and they do not affiliate with a national organization. This semester, applicants had to choose whether they wanted to join a local or national sorority before moving through the rest of the recruitment process. Emma spoke about her decision to join a national sorority.
3: To me, it just seems like the national ones were a bit more established. Um, like I knew that they sort of had structures already in place because they'd been here longer. On like a national scale, too, like Theta has a network of like over 250,000 women internationally. Um, and that was something that I thought was really important just in terms of like making connections that could last beyond college um, and connections not necessarily through college. And I think that with the local sororities, um, they have a lot of connections while you're on campus. But I wasn't sure how those would transfer. Um. Like later on in life because they're smaller and like only on our campus Um, and I also just didn't know as much about them because they were so new and I think I think if they're looking for social interactions like new friends and just people to meet right now either are definitely good options and if they're looking for like a cheaper option then local could potentially be the way to go Um, but I think if they're looking more for the future like if like I've heard a lot of stories of people applying to jobs and, you know, being among like hundreds of applicants, but then getting like handpicked out of those for like a, like an interview because of some sort of connection with their national sorority because like the interviewer maybe um,
2: was like a member of their sorority or something like that. Theta Chi has hosted in-person events this fall, ranging from individual meetings with new members to movie nights.
4: We had, recently we just had everyone kind of hanging out at the fraternity president's house and we all just kind of had a barbecue together. We've had one movie night. We had one other event other than the fraternity sanctioned parties. Other than those, um, we've had one other event but I wasn't able to attend that one because I had a midterm, (laughs) classic college life.
2: With COVID-19 restrictions gradually easing, in-person Greek life events are once again part of the Tufts social scene. Emma talked about some of the social and philanthropic events her sorority has hosted this fall.
3: And then we also had a philanthropy event Friday the 15th called Concert for Casa, where we invited 10 performing arts groups on campus. So I think it was it was Public Harmony, Enchanted, the Jackson Jills, the Um Incendido, Tamasha, Pulse, Tufts Middle Eastern Dance, Tufts Tap, and oh and blackout step team um and they performed like for like a few minutes like one or two numbers and then all the money all the proceeds went to um our national philanthropy casa uh, which is the one that advocates for children in the foster system and so that was really cool
2: with delta tau delta on probation zeta psi disbanded and new local sororities on the scene the face of greek life at tufts has shifted dramatically since the start of covid19 and due to concerns voiced by movements such as Abolish Greek Life at Tufts. However, Emma and Jackson's accounts of their experiences with Greek organizations suggest that they will continue to endure as part of the social fabric of Tufts. For The Rewind, I'm Sylvia Wang.
0: Coming up this week, Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth will give a virtual lecture on citizenship and public service this Wednesday, November 17th. Duckworth is an Iraq war veteran, former assistant secretary of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and founder of the Senate Environmental Justice Caucus, among other accomplishments. You can register for this event at events.tufts.edu. The Fletcher School's 7th Annual Conference on Gender and International Affairs will take place this Friday and Saturday. The theme is Radical Optimism, Transforming Positivity into Power, and Tufts students can attend in person in the ASEAN Auditorium. The Tufts Jazz Orchestra is performing on Saturday, November 20th at 8pm in the Granoff Music Center. This event is free and no tickets are required. That's it for this November 16th edition of The Rewind. Join us next week for more stories from the Tufts Daily. The Rewind is brought to you by the Tufts Daily. Our producers are Perry Barris and Chloe Courtney Bull. Michael Friedman, Aaron Klein, and Emily Walker are our audio editors. Hannah Harris is the executive audio editor. I'm your host, Emily Thompson. Thank you for listening.